Grab a seat, church. How we doing? Good. Hey, we got a full service for you. You're like, man, we're not done yet. Nope, not done yet. Uh, and so, uh, so we got my message, and then we get the opportunity uh, to to partake in baptism this morning. So we're pretty pumped about that. Um, but uh, but I'm really really excited that we're in we're in week four of our series called Epistles. And so if you're just joining us, epistle is a fancy word that means letter, pretty basic. And we're walking through the Pauline epistles. So any letter that Paul wrote, we are going through canonical order. So the order in which we find them in the Bible, we are walking through. And so through Three weeks ago, we started in Romans, and then we were in 1 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians, and anybody looking in your table of contents could tell you that this weekend we're in Galatians, okay? Um, has anybody felt a little, I mean, just a little beat up by this at all? Because I, like, if, as I have walked through it, okay, two of you, great, as I, everybody else, you're doing good, great, because <laughs> today is rough, let me tell you, because... Paul, remember, uh, what, what we have to remember about Paul is Paul's purpose really is twofold. One, it's to proclaim the gospel to people who, who uh, weren't of the Jewish faith or the Jewish tradition. So his responsibility is talking to Gentiles. Now, there's two groups of people in the world. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. And so when we're talking through this, we can recognize that, you know what, Paul is largely talking to us, right? We're a bunch of Gentiles in here, unless you're of Jewish faith. Now, the second piece of what Paul is responsible for doing is making sure that he takes any theological or, uh, or practical uh, inaccuracies that the church is, is partaking in and realigning them in the way that they should go. Right? So for us in here, it feels a little, for me specifically, specifically probably, it feels a little burdensome for me to come at you with a fire hose every weekend because of the fact that, one, I'm a Gentile who's messing up on a regular basis, and Paul's talking to us about that. And two, I'm a part of the church. And so because I'm a part of the church, Paul is consistently correcting behavior over and over and over again. And I'll tell you what, Galatians... It, it, like if you felt beat up the last couple weeks, hold on, because Paul doesn't get any lighter in the way that he is communicating to people. Okay, so a couple basic things about the book of Galatians, and it's your first slide. The author is Paul. The date's somewhere between 45 and 55 AD. They're not exactly sure, and it's written to the church in Galatia. One of the things we need to recognize, even though we don't know the exact time of the writing, is most people credit this book, this epistle, as his earliest epistle. So one of the first ones that he is actually writing, okay? Like, why does that? That doesn't make any sense. It's not in the right order. Well, welcome to the Bible. None of the books are in the right order, okay? So, uh, but that's one of the things we need to recognize. And this, this letter, more so than any other, who has, has Paul, um, who is seemingly furious at this church. And the reason why is relatively simple. They're reverting back to their old way of legalism and law-abiding nature. Now, I have a hard time with this because by nature, I'm a rule follower. Any rule followers in the house? My rule followers? Good. All of you are married to people who enjoy breaking the rules for the most part, right? You're laughing because it's true, right? I'm the one who really enjoys rules and structure and that sort of thing. My wife is like, no, it'll be fine. Just, it'll be fine. I'm like, it's not okay. It's breaking the rules. We're not allowed to break the rules, right? 
I never break the rules if I can, if I can help it. I, like, one of the, like, a, a rule for me is, like, I hate being late to things, right? Any of, any of you people in here? Yeah, exactly, right? You guys are like, I would rather show up a half hour early to something and sit in my car than be 30 seconds late to that meeting. Like, I'm totally okay with that. Um, and I think it goes back to when I played water polo. We had morning practice, right? And morning practice started at 6 o'clock. And, and if anybody on our team was late, the entire team had to swim a 1,000 yards butterfly. And so I feel like that if I break a rule, my coach is going to come from Sacramento and tell me that I need to go swim a 1,000 yards butterfly. And frankly, I would rather drown than do that now at this point in my life. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to games, I don't get upset if I lose. I used to. I don't get upset if I lose anymore, right? I get upset if somebody cheats in order to win, right? Okay, so let's be honest for a second. We're in church. You have to tell the truth. Who are the game cheaters in here? Like, I don't care. I'm going to win. You liars. I got one. <laughs> I got one. Like, I don't care. You're not cheating. You're not trying. That's my motto. That's my motto. I love the rule. I love rules. Uh, and, and that's why one of my favorite books in Scripture is, is the book of James, right? James is so black and white. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. All right, done. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. Paul, I wish you could be a little bit more clear like your buddy James. Um, but Paul is going to remind the church in Galatia and at the same time remind all of us that following Christ isn't about rules and regulations. Following Christ is about grace. More and more and more and more grace. That's what he consistently is going to point back to in the book of Galatians. Which I think, honestly, the modern church has lost sight of this. And so this is where it's going to hurt a little bit. Okay? Because we're the modern church. But before we do that, let's get our, our minds right again. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you know what? Hey, the church isn't perfect. Okay, now... Again, turn to that same person and say, our church isn't perfect either. Okay, good. So for the 75% of you who are willing to do that, this message is going to be one where you feel a little bit more free because we recognize the church isn't perfect. The other 25%, this is going to be a little bit difficult for you, okay? Because our church isn't perfect. The church as a whole isn't perfect. And one of the things that the modern church struggles with is the idea of reverting back to this idea of legalism, reverting back to rules and regulations and adding things into salvation, the things that are necessary for salvation. Because my group is, my, my guess is that there's two groups of people in this room. There's one group of people who've been part of a church for a really long time. That's me, okay? My whole life, you know, I probably missed a handful of Sundays my entire life. I grew up in church. Uh, my, my first Easter, I was three weeks old, right? I mean, I, like from the time that I was allowed to be in church, I was in church. Now, there's a lot of you in here who fall into, uh, into that group of people. And because of that, you're comfortable, we are comfortable with the way that we do church. Essentially, our rules of church, Right? That once you become a believer, you needed to get into a Sunday school class. You need to be at Wednesday night dinners. Your kids need to be in our children's program. You need to serve on some teams because if, you don't, if, you're, if you're not utilizing your spiritual gifts at church, then you're not utilizing your spiritual gifts correctly. We have communion on the first Sunday of every month. 
That's a rule. It's not in the Bible, but it's a rule. It's in our Constitution. That one actually is a rule. We have communion on the first Sunday of every single month. You need to talk to the pastor immediately after you make a commitment for Christ so you can get baptized as quickly as possible. It's a rule. That's how you do church. And don't forget, my most, infa- my, my, my most favorite one, my, the most important one, is that if you're not tithing, <laughs> then you're breaking the rules of church. And these are rules, these are things that we have lined out, lined up as a church. And not just us, because we're building on traditions that have gone before us. And not even, I'm not even saying these things are bad. These things are good. Christ commands us to take communion. He gives us that example. We see that in the upper room. Even as we go and, and we do baptism today, we have baptism today. That's a tradition though. Did Christ ask us to do it? Yeah, absolutely. Are we going to do it? Yeah, absolutely. One, because Baptist is in our name, and if we don't, we're a bunch of frauds in here. (laughs) But two, because Jesus told us that we should do it. And so we do some of those things, but largely they're rules. And I don't even disagree with those rules. I'm the one helping keep these rules in place. I don't disagree with them. I want you to serve. I want you to tithe. I want you to be baptized. I want your kids in our children's programs. But we've forgotten, maybe not in what we believe, but it's evidenced in the way that we act that none of that is required for salvation. None of it is required for salvation. None of it is required to be a part of the kingdom of God. So that's one group of us. And there's another group of people in here who are just figuring out this Jesus thing for the first time. And you're trying to become acclimated to the rules, to the way that you're supposed to do church, to the the seat that you're supposed to sit in when you come so you don't offend anybody else. To when is okay, like, is it okay for me to still get coffee during the countdown timer? Or is like that too soon? Should I be in my seat to, before I go and get the coffee? And, and uh, while coffee's okay up here, is like okay to bring my muffin up here too? Or is like muffin strictly in the back? Like what are the rules for that? And so there's another group of people in here who are trying to figure out church and not just smaller things like that, but even the traditions that we have and the communion. When do we serve communion and when do we get baptized and, and, and when is the appropriate amount of time for me to wait until I can say that I'm a follower of Christ so then I can take communion? Like what are all those rules that I'm trying to figure, that, that, that I need to follow? You're trying to figure out church so you don't stick out to everyone else around you that you are new to faith and you're new to church and it can feel like a burden to you sometimes because there is so much to learn that people like me have largely forgotten because it's just what we do. It's just church. To all of us though, I would say we need to lean in and hear what Paul is teaching today because it has everything to do with Peter talks about in chapter 1 where he tells us, in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, when he tells us that we aren't redeemed by old traditions and a normalized way of doing things. We're redeemed by Christ and his conquering death on the cross. That's what it has to do with today. This message from Paul should remind us that traditions are secondary and that rules can get in the way. 
it is Christ's blood that we need to be focused on, fo- that we need to be focusing on. And so we need to recognize a few things before we dig in, okay? And I'm, gonna, I'm getting to Galatians, don't worry, and we're going to sprint through it. But we have to frame this whole thing, okay? Christianity began as a Jewish movement from those people who believed in Jesus as the Messiah, that's it. That was the, the, the origin story. But by the time Paul was writing this letter to the church in Galatia, there's an entirely new group of people who are on the scene. They don't share the same background as those where the movement began. So in other words, there's a huge group of people who were new to faith and an old group of people who were accustomed to the law and the traditions of the church. Sound familiar? The Jewish group of people, the people of Israel, was largely set apart from the rest of the world by first seeing, by first seeing and being God's chosen people. That's who they were. And then outwardly were set apart by their practices of circumcision of males, not eating pork and observing the Sabbath. These are external things that they did. Many Jewish Christians believed that this entire new group of believers, these Gentiles in, in, in the church in Galatia, needed to conform to their old way of doing things. They need to be part of the Jewish traditions. In other words, this new group of believers needed to get in line with the rules and the traditions of the church. A lot of these Jewish Christians made their way to this church in Galatia. And we're doing their best to try and force people into an old paradigm that was no longer commanded or even relevant. Specifically, the act of circumcision. And they, at this point, were undermining Paul and the things that they were demanding. We see this happening in the book of Acts in chapters 13 and 14. Well, when Paul finds out about all of this, about all of these people trying to force new believers into an old paradigm... Gentiles into an old way of believing, into an old covenant is the way that we would say that. When Paul finds out about this, he's upset. And he's not upset because they're undermining him, but because they're undermining the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul's upset. Which brings us into section one, chapters one and two. And the major theme here is the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. Your key verse is going to be 2, 16 and 19 and 20. We'll get to that in just a second. But t- Paul talks about his frustration with the Galatian church and how not only is his message regarding who Christ is truthful, but it's also authoritative because he is an apostle. You ever wonder as you're reading through the epistles why Paul always introduced himself as an apostle of Christ? It's because there was authority that went along with that title. There's authority that went along with saying, I am an apostle of Christ. So Paul introduced himself. He's saying it's authoritative because he's an apostle. apostle. He reminds him that Jesus came and visited him and gave him the same authority that the other apostles held. And later on, he goes to the other apostles, Paul does, goes to the other apostles, tells them about his encounter with Jesus and how it's going to be his responsibility to to bring the Gentiles into the fold of Christ. And they all agree. So Paul's reminding them all of this. But as with most traditions, it ran deeper than a one-time agreement. For any of you who have traditions at Thanksgiving or Christmas time, you know that changing that tradition is a lot more difficult than just saying, hey, you want to do something else this year? 
no, 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 no. You got to talk. You got to talk to everybody involved with that tradition. Because if you don't get everybody's buy-in, there's a whole lot of people who are going to be upset that we changed from having spin or not spinach, green beans without pork to green beans with pork. It's going to, people are going to be upset about that. Traditions ran deeper. Because what happened was Peter, while he was eating and drinking and enjoying life with all these Gentile believers, a group showed up who were old school Jewish Christians. And they looked down on Peter for the things that he was doing with the Gentiles, specifically just enjoying himself, eating whatever it is that he wanted with these Gentiles. They looked down on his behavior, and Peter caved. He's like, okay, he gave in to the pressure. So he stopped hanging out with them, stopped hanging out with the Gentiles, stopped eating with them, and was even avoiding them completely. Paul reprimands Peter and essentially tells him that he is betraying the work that Christ already accomplished on the cross. You're adding to salvation. Stop it. Jesus took care of it. So Paul reprimands him. He essentially calls him a hypocrite because he's endorsing one behavior and acting differently depending on the groups of people he is with. Paul reminds all of them to, Galatians 2, verse 16, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by what? Faith in Christ and not by the works of the what? Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, so as I promised, we're doing our best to try to make sure that any theological word we're going to explain to you, okay? So we're going to focus on this word justified real quick, okay? Justification. This is a, a word that we can skim over and, and, you know, we can kind of read into the context and that sort of thing. But the idea of justification, okay, that's your theological word. You can jot that down. Justification has to do with our salvation, Okay, we talk about justification, we talk about sanctification, we talk about glorification. Those are three big pieces of salvation. There's like seven more or 15 more, depending on what theologian you talk to. But these are the big three. So justification is the time in which you said yes to Jesus being Lord of your life forever. So at the end of every service, when I pray the ABCs, when I talk about, hey, I, I hope you admit, you believe, and you choose to follow Jesus every day. If you put your faith in Christ, and it doesn't have to be at the end of the service. You can do it anytime you want, I promise. The Bible doesn't say anything about <laughs> you have to say the ABCs. But when you put your faith in Christ, from that point forward, you are justified, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit for all of eternity, which means from that point forward, when you die, you're going to go to heaven. And that's glorification, right? And we talked about sanctification a couple weeks ago, the act of becoming holy. So Paul, what he is saying here is that you are justified by faith. You are saved by your faith. Not by the law. Not by the things that you do. Not by circumcision. Not by not eating specific things. Not by observing the Sabbath. But by faith. Because no one can be justified through merely observing old laws and traditions. No one can be saved through adherence to the law. It's not going to happen. And beyond that, it's not even biblical. 
The only way we can be justified and declared righteous before Christ is to accept the fact that we're sinners. He died for us, and we choose to follow him every single day. So when people trust in Jesus and follow him, we should then become like him. Which leads us into 19 and 20, where it says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ Jesus, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So because what he is saying here is essentially, look, it's not about me anymore. The minute that I was justified, the minute that I declared that I, declared I was going to have faith in Christ, that I chose Christ and Christ chose me, the minute I was sealed for eternity, that's the minute that the Holy Spirit took over. It's no longer me, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And that's what Paul was trying to get across. It isn't about what we do and how we act externally. Our faith in Christ or our justification in Christ come only from what Christ did on the cross, and that then should manifest itself in our lives. We should be a reflection of what Christ did on our behalf. We should be coming holy on a daily basis. Sanctification. But becoming holy doesn't mean that you have to do a bunch of things. That's kind of where I stopped short of when I was explaining sanctification. You don't have to do a bunch of things. It doesn't mean you have to sign up for Bible studies, though we hope we get you to a group of people that you can do life with. It doesn't mean you have to get baptized. I'm going to pause there for all of you to take your deep breath. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you have to get baptized, though the Bible says you should and we want you to. You don't have to go under some water in order to be saved. You have to do nothing in order to be, to be saved except ask Christ to be the Lord of your life, choose to follow him every day, and declare it with your mouth. You believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans chapter 10. That's all we have to do. So for those, though, who were Jewish Christians in the church in Galatia, this is going to rock their paradigm and their world quite a bit. It's going to mess with their head. It's going to mess with their theology because their entire lives, they've been told they are God's chosen people. Their entire lives, they've been, they've been set apart from the rest of the world, from everybody else. It was an us and it was a them. We're God's chosen people. They are not. We are clean. They are not over and over and over again. And now all of a sudden we have Paul saying, sorry, it's not about your observance of the old law. It's about what Christ did on the cross. And because of that, our church and the body of Christ is gonna look a whole lot different now. A whole lot different now. It's not about our externals. And to be frank, there are people in here, and this is where it's gonna sting, who believe that if you do not do specific things in and around the church, that you're not doing your job as a good Christian. And I need to tell you from the stage that's extra biblical and that's legalistic. It's extra biblical and it's legalistic. Now, while we hope your relationship with God leads you into being active in our church body, and we think it should, that your faith in Christ should, should lead you into being active in our church body. It's certainly not a necessity. 
which leads us into Paul's next section, chapters three and four, section two. Major theme here is gonna be a whole new family. Things are gonna look a lot different. Our key passage, not our key passage, that'd be different, is uh, Galatians 3.28. So because Jesus defeated death, right, with his sacrifice on the cross, he reconciles us to God. He defeats death, we're reconciled to God forever. There's a whole new group of people who get the opportunity to be in the family of God. We would call this the fellowship of believers. We talked about that way back three months ago when we were talking about the church, right, and what the church should be. And part of who the church should be is a fellowship of believers. And so when somebody accepts Christ as their savior, they are welcomed into this fellowship of believers. So Paul turns to Jewish Christians, hero of faith, to try to point this whole thing out. Now, if you were a Jewish Christian, if you were Jewish in general, your father was a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham was like Billy Graham times a million, church. Like he was a huge deal. And so Paul points back to him to prove a point. In Genesis 15, 6, where it said, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. You guys ever wonder how people went to heaven in the Old Testament? You ever think about that? You will later on today. <laughs> but Paul is making a point here. It says, it doesn't matter what Abraham did. The father of our faith His externals didn't even matter. You know how Abraham got to heaven? Let's read it again. Abram believed the Lord. And Jesus, or and he credited it to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham had faith. And he was declared righteous because of it. It wasn't because of what he did or he didn't do. It was because he believed the Lord which is gonna frustrate some people in the early church. Because if, if the way they were going to get to heaven all along was by faith and not through works, then what was the point of the law? You kidding me? All I had to do was, was have faith in, in, in God and I was gonna go to heaven. What about all of these things, these hoops that I've been jumping through for the entirety of my life? Paul refers to this in, in, in 319. He kind of piques their interest a little bit there. He essentially tells them that the law, while good, had both negative and positive effects to it. Negatively, the law was like a magnifying glass for all of Israel's sin, right? I mean, you, you just look at the book of Judges. One, if you haven't read the book of Judges lately, like guys in here, if you haven't read the book of Judges lately, and you're like, I feel like a man movie, go read the book of Judges, okay? It's incredible. There's all the fighting and violence that you need to kind of whet your appetite. But the book of Judges really is a book about people in Israel turning their back on God because of their sin and then God sending a judge and then bringing them back and then they sin again and they bring them back and they sin again over and over and over and over. And you're like, I've seen this movie before. But it served as a magnifying glass for all of Israel's sin. The law did. It showed how disobedient and terrible people were regardless of how hard they tried. Look at the Old Testament. Man, that is a jacked up bunch of stories put together. But, but, but hold on. How, how, could, how could it be messed up? These are God's people. 
These are God's people, and they have a law to which they're supposed to follow. So how come this isn't unicorns and rainbows right now? This should be easy for them. They have a law, and all they have to do is abide by the law. So if they just have to abide by the law, then the Old Testament should be perfect. Read it. It's not. It served, the law served as a magnifying glass of their sins. 322 in Galatians tells us that the law, the laws imprisoned everyone under the power of sin. So not only was the law difficult for those who were trying to uphold it and failing, the law was impossible for those people outside of Jewish culture. Positively, though, it kept people in line. It's the same reason we have laws in our country. And if you break the law, there are consequences for them. If I go to 115 miles an hour down Grangeville and Vince happens to catch me, there's going to be consequences for it. He would never catch me, though. <laughs> He's going to pull me over now, guys. I know it. <laughs> But it keeps people operating under the same understanding for the safety of everybody in the culture around us. That's what it does for us. The law was always intended, though, to be temporary. It was never the final act. God's plan was never to hold everyone under the law forever. It was intended to be in place until the Messiah, Jesus, came and conquered death. That was the intention of the law. But beyond that, Jesus was going to fulfill the law by loving God and loving who? People. Loving God and loving people. And so Jesus, when he rose again after his crucifixion, fulfills the law in such a way that everyone, regardless of who they are, regardless of where they came from, regardless of what they did, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their gender, regardless of the clothes in which they wear to church on a Sunday morning, regardless of all of those things, Jesus came, died, and conquered death on their behalf. Galatians tells us that, 328, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in who? Christ Jesus. We are all one. But as Paul goes on to talk about, requiring non-Jewish Christians to observe the old law is the equivalent of Jesus never being born at all. He's like, look, if you're going to make them observe the law, there was no reason for the Messiah to come whatsoever. You're taking the power of the Messiah away from him. It makes it so it didn't matter that just Jesus fulfilled the law and conquered and dealt with our sins once and for all. It totally turns its back on the freedom that Jesus gained for us. And it limits who, we can, or who can be a part of the family of God to one distinct group of people, the Jews. Those who had been established in the church. It's kind of like the, uh, the unwritten rules of baseball. Anybody watching playoff baseball? Yeah? Nah, that's how I feel too. But I'm watching it. I'm watching it regardless, okay? Um, but, uh, but it's kind of like the unwritten rules of baseball. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the unwritten rules of baseball, there are written rules in baseball, right? Ball strikes, outs, and, you know, if you, you know, throw the ball to first on a ground ball and the ball makes it to the first baseman and he's touching first base before the runner hits it, then he's out. It's a rule of baseball. But there's also unwritten rules of baseball. Baseball is a gentleman's game. Baseball is a game where if you hit a home run, I don't know, let's say 479 feet like a guy did last night, hit it out of, out of Fenway Park, which was incredible. Red Sox fans, not sorry. 
but destroyed the ball that because it's a gentleman's game, the unwritten rules tell you somewhere, but they're unwritten, so we don't know where. The unwritten rules tell you that you're not allowed to express any emotion after you hit that ball. Right? You hit the ball, you put your head down, and you sprint around the bases as fast as you can because if you don't, you're going to show up the pitcher who just threw that pitch to you. Not allowed to do it. Right? Pitcher, after he strikes somebody out in the ninth inning to close the game, to seal the deal so it's done, you're not allowed to look at the batter after you strike him out because if you do, you're showing up the guy. All these things are unwritten rules, extra rules, all of these things. I'm like, time out. Man, anybody who's ever played baseball knows it's a kid's game. And if I hit a ball... Over 400 feet, you're going to hear about it for years. <laughs> it's just going to happen. I don't care who threw it. <laughs> like, you better be impressed too at that point. <laughs> and there's this new wave. It's interesting because there's this new wave of ball players who are, who are counting this unwritten ro- law as absolutely ridiculous. That baseball is a kid's game. The baseball should be fun to play. And like emotion is welcomed. Like, let's be a part of the emotion. So there are guys who hit a bomb. They toss their bat in the air like 50 feet. Yasiel Puig can't stand that guy. Um, <laughs> and yell and jump and celebrate as they're slowly trotting the bases because of their accomplishments. But there is an old guard in baseball. And guys, I'm one of them. I hate that. But there's an old guard in baseball who says, you're breaking the the rules. And there's this new group of players who's like, I don't see that written down anywhere. It's the same thing that we have in the, the church of Galatia. There's these people who are abiding by the rules that have been set forth by them. And there is an old guard who is saying, no, you need to do these things. They're saying, what? Where, where did this even come from? Because when, when somebody told me about Jesus, I was told that all I had to do was have faith in him. That there's nothing we have to do outside of accepting God's grace that is required of us to come to salvation. There is no more law, which brings us into section three in chapters five and six. Your main major theme here is going to be transformation by the spirit, transformation by the spirit. So Paul notes that there are, there are people who may have been frustrated by this because how can new people to the faith come to know what's expected of them concerning holy living? There's got to be a list of things that they're going to have to do in order to be good Christians. There has to be because if they're not, they're just going to continue to do whatever it is that they want to do operating all willy-nilly, throwing their bat 50 feet in the air and trotting around the bases. You can't do that. Where's the rules written down? And so Paul addresses this here. He tells them that that's not your job. That responsibility is that of the Holy Spirit. And their adherence to his movement in their lives that's going to move them towards right living. That it's not about the law. Paul even reminds them at this point that the laws are good and the laws are wise. And they even summarizes them again in the way that Jesus did, to love God and to love people. But the laws, as great as they are, never gave the Jews the ability to obey them. They will never live up to them. We will never live up to them. So if the laws were impossible to obey, how then should people know how to live? Well, the good news is that Jesus fulfilled the law, so we didn't have to anymore. He did it on our behalf. And now, 
The same God who went to the cross to fulfill the law for us lives in us through his spirit. We can now be new humans who love people because like 1 John 1 tells us that we love because Christ first loved us. So he goes on to bring to light the fact that before Jesus, all we had were these bad behaviors that keep popping up because ultimately we couldn't defeat them by being better. I'm going to try harder this time. I'm going to try harder this time. It sounds like every time I say I'm going to go on a diet, right? Yeah, I heard some giggles. But anybody, diets? Yeah, you guys have all tried them. Don't even raise your hand. It's 100%. (laughs) And every single time we say, you know what? I'm going to, this time all I have to do is try harder. Or I'm going to make my wife push me out of bed in the morning. Or or I'm going to make sure that I pack my lunch every single day so that I don't go to the habit again. Right? Over and over and over again. That may have been a personal confession of mine. I don't know. But whatever it is, we can't just try harder. And that's what the law is essentially doing to Jews. Like, look, hey, try harder, man. Sorry you couldn't reach us again. Try harder. Try harder. Go ahead. And it doesn't work over and over and over again because we need people guiding us. We need people helping us, which is why God sent his spirit to live inside of us. So because the Jews couldn't put this old behavior to death simply by trying harder, Jesus came, defeated all of the laws, fulfilled all of the laws. He took care of those bad behaviors on our behalf. So now, rather than sin being what defines us as humans, his love should. His spirit should. His spirit in us should. So when we accept Christ and what he did for us on the cross, our old way of living is put to death, and it is actually Christ living through us and in us that makes us a new creation. Our behavior is not changed by external laws. Our behavior is not changed by external laws, but it's changed by an internal coach guiding us and leading us daily. With the adherence to this coach, to his spirit, we begin to call, or we, we begin to produce what we call in Christian circles and what Paul calls in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the spirit. If you've been to any VBS, this is a memory verse. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no, what? Law. There it is again. There is no law, which is why Paul tells us that that against such things, there is no law. We're free in Christ. There's no burden of expectation of adhering to an old paradigm. We're free. This is Jesus' way of life so that we may become those things. We may become love. We may become joy. We may become peace. We may become forbearance. We may become goodness and kindness and gentleness and all of those things. We may become those things. But Paul reminds them that this fruit isn't automatic. Hear me on this, church. This fruit isn't automatic. It doesn't show up as soon as you say yes. Like any other produce, for any of you who have planted a garden, it's a little more difficult than putting a seed in, covering it up, and hey, a tomato. It's not how it works. It has to be cultivated If we live by the Spirit, we have to live in step by the Spirit, is what Paul tells them. It's not just the Spirit living in us, it's us adhering to the Spirit. 
It's us listening to the Spirit. It's us doing this, the, the things that the Spirit prompts us to do. We have to live intentionally, not leaning on our old habits or someone else's traditions and someone else's expectations. We have to live in step with the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus may take, uh, makes us into people who love God and who love people. That's the fulfillment of the law, to love God and to love people. That's what the fruit of the Spirit allows us to do. Love God and love people. What really matters is God's new creation, this diverse, multi-ethnic family of believers who are all allowed to freely come to the foot of the cross and declare themselves unrighteous so they can put on the robe of righteousness that was purchased by death on the cross by Christ. But so what? So what? That was first century Jews and Gentiles who had these issues. What does any of this have to do with me today? Because I'm not here trying to live by the Old Testament. I recognize I'm free from the law. I recognize all of those things that we're all thinking right now. To those in here who have been part of a church for a long time, that means getting back in step with the Spirit and refusing to believe that anything else leads to salvation. That's what that means that we need to strip off expectation. Our faith is a dependence on Christ, not externals. It doesn't matter when people accept him. It doesn't matter how many ministries they're involved in. It doesn't matter even if they sat in your seat today. The way we should act towards everyone begins with what we talked a whole lot about the last three weeks, which is love. And you will see Paul go back to this over and over and over again. Peace and grace and love. Peace and grace and love. There is no law there. For those of you who are in here today who are new to faith, that means you need to get in step with the Spirit. You need to listen to the call of God on your life. How is the Spirit leading you? How are you cultivating those gifts to which you have been given? Because we all have them. While there is no law you need to follow, you need to be heeding the wisdom of the Holy Spirit every single day. So you are cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in your life, which allows you to love God and love people. Because externals don't matter. What you do or what you don't do is secondary. What Paul says as the big idea is this. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. In other words, it doesn't matter what happens, what you are doing on the outside. What counts is the new creation. What counts is your faith in Christ. Can you imagine like, what, it, like, what it would look like if we were a church marked by the movement and beckoning of the Spirit in our lives and not by scheduled activities? If when you felt that tug on your heart to talk with someone regarding faith, rather than merely saying, God bless you as you hand them the change in your pocket, what that would look like. To meet those appointments that the Holy Spirit has for you. Those people who you already know and love. Those people who are already in your life that you are scared and nervous and fearful and proud, too proud 
to talk with about faith if we merely just said yes to the Spirit and moved forward? Man, it doesn't matter if you've been a church, part of church for 90 years or nine days. We need to be staying in step with the Spirit every single day. And the funny thing is, is even as we, we talk about being filled with grace and not the law, we also recognize that through Christ, an example was set for us as well. That if Jesus does things, we should also do those things. So Jesus fulfilled the law. He loves God. He loves others. He loves people. He fulfilled the law in that way. But Jesus also told the disciples that they should take communion. They should go to the table. And beyond that, he tells us in the Great Commission that we're to make disciples of all nations and do what? Baptize them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning as we close, we get to recognize that we don't live under the law. We get the opportunity to live according to Christ and his spirit. And man, we got a baptism today that we're going to celebrate. We've got Jamie Rivera who's here. Jeff, can you come on out? Bring Jamie. Give him a round of applause as he comes. <laughs> Jamie, right over here, bud. So... Jamie, today, uh, he's going to, first, let's light this candle. Let's make sure that it, it lights. Go ahead and grab it and light it on there. I know we're letting you play with fire in church. Pretty cool. And Jamie has a verse that he wants to read with all of us. Jamie, go ahead. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen. All right, how about your testimony, bud? I grew up knowing about God my whole life, and my dad was the youth pastor when I was a baby. My whole family, including my grandma, grandpa, Mima, and granddad, are Christians. They also helped, helped teach me about God's love for me. I asked God into my heart during VBS in a park in Fresno in the summer of 2017. I asked God into my heart because I believed in him and I knew he died for me and I love him and I want to live for him. I want to get baptized today because it is a sign of Jesus dying on the cross. Standing up is Jesus hand, hanging on the cross and then in the water Jesus died for our sins and then out of the water Jesus rose on the third day and he told us to be baptized so I want to do it like, it like he did. Perfect. Head into the tank, bud. One of the things that I want to mention, and Jeff is going to share some words in a second, but one of the things that I want to mention is that unlike communion, where communion is a time for us to reflect and be somber and, 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 and really reflect on our faith in Christ, our own personal faith in Christ, Baptism's a party. Baptism's a celebration. And so do me a favor. When Jamie comes back up out of that water, I want you to do whatever you need to do to make this kid feel like he is following the spirit of the Lord every single step of his life. Can you do that for me? Take it away. All right. Hey, first of all, usually this is like bath water. Does this feel like bath water today? No, not really. You're going to survive. Hey, I, when you were giving your testimony, I thought, why do we even need Peter 
Pastor Peter preaching. You preached the sermon right there. That was awesome. So, Jamie, have you committed? Have you committed your life to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes. And is it your desire to follow him this morning through the water of baptism? Mm -hmm. And, Jamie, based on your profession of your faith in Jesus Christ and your willingness to follow him in baptism, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good job, church. Doesn't that feel good? Man, what a party. Hey, let's pray and we'll get you guys out of here. Father, we are so thankful for your son. We're so thankful for you sending him to the cross to fulfill the law, to put, put an example together for us to be able to, to love you well and to love people well. And God, I just pray that we would get out of our own way. God, I pray that, that we wouldn't try to add anything else to the work that you've already completed, that we would recognize that tradition is second, that you tell us that all we have to do in order to come to faith in you is simply say yes and follow you every single day of our lives. And so, Father, I pray that right now. God, I pray that if there's people in here who haven't said yes to you yet, Father, I, I pray, A, that they would admit that they're a sinner in need of a Savior that they would recognize they need you. That, God, we're all messed up. It doesn't matter if we're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter where we came from, who we are, what we did. It matters that we say yes to you. It matters that we, we, we admit that we're sinful, broken human beings in need of a Savior. Be that we would believe that uh, you went to the cross on our behalf. And Jesus, that, that you went to the cross, you conquered death for us so we could be reconciled to you forever, so we could be in your family forever. And it cease that we would choose to follow you every single day of our lives. God, I pray that you would continue to work in the lives of all of us to stay in step with the Spirit and not add a single iota to salvation because you did everything on our behalf already. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, church, have a good week. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.